This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. large amount of overlap between this concept of adrenal fatigue versus true clinical depression. And we got to be careful to not label one as the other. So they can share a lot of commonality between them. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about the natural treatment of stress. We'll find out about the antiviral properties of oil of oregano. We'll discuss adopting pets during social isolation. And lastly, we'll consider whether now is the time for self-improvement. But first, a little bit of business. Are you stressed out? Feel exhausted? Having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, and sleep better. Discover de-stress, chill pills, and sleep aid from New Roots Herbal natural ingredients, and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. For more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Naturopathic Dr. Philip Rashadis graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in 2004, preceded by an honors undergraduate degree and master's of science degree, both in nutritional sciences from the University of Guelph. He practices at the Bolton Naturopathic Clinic in Bolton, Ontario, with his wife, Dr. Heidi Fritz. His areas of clinical focus include mental health, autoimmune disease, and metabolic syndrome. He also serves as an associate professor at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, responsible for the delivery of second-year curriculum in clinical nutrition. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here. Always a treat. Yeah, you're doing fine. I'm doing fine. But there may be people out there who aren't doing so fine. Like after a considerable amount of time socially isolating and just dealing with the nonsense that we're all forced to deal with, that can be stressful. And, and that manifests itself so many different ways. Yes? Absolutely. Very much so. I mean, what else can we say? Let's dive in. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. So what's going on? Is it just that they're stressed out? Is there something physiological that's happening to them? Look, there's a term I want to bring in here. Um, it's a controversial one. Mainstream physicians will discredit this term I'm about to use. Integrative healthcare providers would argue it is very, very real. We see it reproducibly, and there are things we can do to help. And the term is adrenal fatigue. So we use this to describe a state where someone's just been really stressed out for a really long time. Right. We have coping mechanisms but when those coping mechanisms are overburdened, they've been under a lot of strain for a long time, eventually they stop working, and we end up in this state that we've termed adrenal fatigue. Now, it's really easy to Google the term adrenal fatigue and convince ourselves that we all have it. And before we go down that road, especially given that my focus in clinical practice is mental health, there is a large amount of overlap between this concept of adrenal fatigue versus true clinical depression. Right. And we got to be careful to not label one as the other. Okay. So they, they can share a lot of commonality between them. So adrenal fatigue, is this tied to the, the fight or flight 
sort of mechanism that we have, our sympathetic and parasympathetic systems in our, in our body? You're absolutely right, Jamie. When we experience stress, step one, the primary effector, there's this whole series of processes initiated in the brain, release of hormone into circulation, which goes to what we call our adrenal glands. We have two of them. They sit on top of each of our kidneys. And the stress response triggers the adrenal gland. Its primary effector is cortisol. So we hear a lot about cortisol. So if I put you in a stressful situation, an appropriate response is that your adrenal gland responds by secreting cortisol. Well, if that stress is chronic, long-term, and fairly intense, and it's about perception, Mm -hmm. it's about perception. One person might be under what you consider unmanageable stress, but they're coping with it quite well. The other person you may look at and say, "That, that doesn't seem like an overly burdensome situation, yet their perception of it is immense. So under prolonged chronic stress, and prior to the chaos of recent times, Right? Just think about what most people's life was like. Right. Hey, I've got a career. I've got kids. I've got a house to take care of. I have a partner that requires some attention. And there's only X hours in a day. And we work, we work, we work, we run around, and the kids have the extracurriculars. Well, try to manage, try to juggle all those balls in the air for a few years. Where do we end up? Let's talk about more recent happenings. We're all really stressed. We're scared. We have uncertain future, right? Mm -hmm. So... But again, really key is to differentiate this state from true depression. I consider adrenal fatigue, the key symptom to me is like a really debilitating fatigue, like you're drained. People will often say there's this time of day, like I hit 2 p.m. and it's like I hit a wall. I can't keep my eyes open. If you leave me alone on the weekend, I'll sleep 18 hours a day. Well, that again has huge overlap with depression. Are you in this state of adrenal fatigue? You're burnt out? Or are you depressed and unmotivated and don't want to get out of bed because you don't see the purpose? How can you tell the difference? How do you know if it's one or the other? Look, it's really hard. And what our approach is clinically, and again, my bias is I principally work with patients in the world of mental health. Yep. Step one is I say, let's address mental health. Okay. Let's address mental health. And I've been at this long enough where when I see these signs of also adrenal fatigue, I tell them, look, we're, we're pretty confident we can help your mood, we can help your anxiety. But I think 8, 10, 12 weeks from now, you're going to be telling me how much better you feel and how you're not anxious anymore, but you still have this very debilitating fatigue. Okay. So my bias is I'm seeing it in people that both have mental health issues and this situation, yet you can have the stressful situation in the absence of mental health issues. So people come in describing this, really significant fatigue and burnout and a lot of stress happening in their life. Then I say, okay, 10 is fantastic, zero is horrible. What would you say your mood is? And they're like, well, an eight or a nine. Do you suffer anxiety? No. So when you've got this sort of fatigue, this is this stress has gotten to you situation that, that I'm trying to describe. Okay. So what are first steps? Let's assume I were to come to you and you say, Jamie, you know, I think you've got adrenal fatigue. What should we be addressing first in that instance? Look, there's certain simple diet and lifestyle strategies, lifestyle that we should really be considering. Number one, I know you love to discuss it, Jamie, from previous interviews, is sleep. Can't stress it enough. And so much of our society is truly sleep-derived. I think if people could see the data that summarizes what happens if you even miss an hour or two of sleep a night, right? You only get five instead of seven or eight hours. 
Yep. The actual measurable impact of that one night of less sleep would horrify people. We need to get our sleep. And if people are having issues getting to sleep, one of my favorite natural health products on, in the world is melatonin. Mm-hmm. It costs pennies. It's super safe. It has what we would call side benefits. Like, it is high-dose melatonin is, I would say, the number one thing recommended by my colleagues for people with advanced cancer. It has amazing data for if you're in a state of advanced cancer achieving some really important outcomes. Right? So it's got side benefits. It's super safe. And low-dose melatonin is usually a very effective sleep aid. Are you concerned at all with people taking melatonin over a long period of time? Like, do you recommend this if it's just sort of like a short-term, I need to get to sleep? Or would you say it's safe to take melatonin over an extended period? It's a very common question we get, and I have absolutely no concern with long-term use of melatonin. Okay. Furthermore, it's really safe. Like, there really aren't drug interactions we have to worry about. It's a super safe substance. A lot of studies have looked at this long term. A lot of the safety data comes from studies that look at this for patients with advanced cancer. And they're giving very high doses of this for life. Okay. That's it. End of discussion, right? And so, no, I I don't have concern about taking melatonin. Now, a lot of patients don't need to. Right. For a lot of people, it resets sleep-wake cycle. Yes. So they'll finally take it every day for two or three weeks. Then on purpose or by accident, they forget to take it and they sleep great. And for most people, that's what melatonin will do. Well, I'd understood that if you take melatonin over an extended period of time, what happens is the body ceases to produce it itself. And that could be an issue in the long run. I would argue that that's a myth, okay. a highly perpetuated myth. And there's actual data to show that that does not occur. Okay. Right. So I, I get that a lot. I hear you. But I would say that's pretty clearly been shown not to occur. Other than melatonin, are there any other natural products that can help us? Yeah, before we get to products, just even a little bit more about lifestyle. One of the most powerful things for normalizing cortisol is meditation. Yep. I think people really underestimate, again, how much awesome science we have on meditation. And specifically in this area is where I love to bring it up. We're talking about cortisol. In a really high stress state, usually we'll find cortisol elevated. You start meditating 10 minutes. And by what we mean by meditation, there's 100 different types It's actually the physical outcome achieved by deep breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. Right. So of all the different types of meditation out there, as long as that outcome of like slowed respiration rate, average adult is taking about 16 breaths per minute by taking really deep breaths, holding, fully exhaling, slowing respiration down to four or five breaths per minute. That's the outcome we're after when we talk about meditation and really, really powerful direct effects on cortisol. Very, very positive. And if you've never meditated before, you can just go online. There's apps that are available that can sort of, if you're, if you're looking for somebody to guide you through a meditation, even in isolation, you can do it. 100%. And of course, exercise. Yep. Exercise is very good for stress response. We see this. It lowers circulating markers of inflammation. It improves cortisol levels. Nothing too crazy. Again, we're after just some movement. 20, 30 minutes of moderate intensity walking is a big game changer. I find with exercise, it keeps my mind off of my worries. I focus on what I'm doing in the moment. If I'm doing a hit class or going for a walk with my dog, it doesn't matter. I can sort of clear my mind. When I get that activity, on the days where I am exercising more vigorously, I actually sleep better, which is, goes back to your earlier point. So it all, to my mind, it's all interconnected. 100%. Sleep, meditation, exercise, 
really good strategies, I would say, regardless of the topic we're talking about. Yeah. But on the topic of stress, penultimate, very important. Okay, so for some of us, you know, some of us have busier, more stressful lives just because, you know, like it isn't a function of what's going on now. Some people have easier things to do. Maybe they're artists. Other people are working in emergency rooms or dealing with life and death situations or, you know, are commercial litigators and they're just stressed out. So what do you recommend to people that really can't change, you know, their work-life balance? Right. Beyond the lifestyle factors we talked about. And again, it's about perception. Yeah. What we perceive high stress litigator, oh, how can they do that? They might not be very affected by it. But the individual that we think is generally an easy path might be really, really hit hard by it. But nonetheless, there are a handful of natural health products that we turn to here for some additional support. Mm-hmm. And now we get a lot of people be familiar with the term an adaptogen. Yes. It's a really unique concept. It's typically an herb that we're talking about. Step one, if I may backtrack, is simply a B complex. Okay. We've all heard of a B complex, B vitamins, studies show, okay, it's not life changing. You're not like curing cancer with a B complex, but you give it to people, they report, hey, I feel I have better energy. I feel I'm in a better state of well-being. I feel my mood is better. Simple outcomes, and we want to take advantage of that, and there's physiological basis there too. B vitamins are really important, energy reactions, etc. So we start with a B complex vitamin. The next place we turn is what we call the adaptogenic herbs. Some of my favorites are things like, what my big-time favorite is one called ashwagandha. But you also have things like rhodiola, astragalus, holy basil. When I first learned about these as a student at the College of Naturopathic Medicine, I was perplexed. It didn't make sense to me what was being described. And I went in depth and, and went down what we call the rabbit hole, trying to understand what these things do. Remarkably, and this is what's so remarkable, and I can understand conventional medicine going, come on, really? But then you have the human data to show that it actually does it. If I get you and you're in a state of heightened stress and cortisol is really high, and I start giving you ashwagandha, rhodiola, these herbs we talked about, we will lower your cortisol into a more normal range. At the same time, if I get you in a state where your cortisol was really high for a long time, but now you've hit this burnout stage, the stage that we're calling adrenal fatigue, when you reach that stage, even though you're still under the stress, if I measure your cortisol, it's really low. You've lost the ability to mount an appropriate stress response. Well, In that state, if I give you the same substance, ashwagandha, your cortisol levels will start to go up. So it's it's a regulator then, right? Exactly, right? And that's hard for you. How can it lower it in one person and raise it in the other? That's what it does. Okay. And, And this is preventative, yes? Or would you recommend these herbs in one of these states? That's the thing. If you're in the either or, if you're really feeling under this immense stress, hey, first of all, do a little screen, talk to a healthcare provider. Let's make sure this isn't clinical depression. Right. There's yeah. a big difference. Yes. So the clinical depression isn't there and, and you're feeling fatigued or just really burnt out or just super stressed. That's when we turn to these adaptogenic herbs. Are there any contraindications with any of these herbs that we should be concerned about? There are. And we should be consulting with a healthcare provider. Often the general rule is a lot of these herbs don't play well with medications. Right. So we quite openly talked about, hey, melatonin is really, really safe. That's not necessarily the case in combination with medications for some of these herbs. And lastly, I really hope to get to it, the medicinal mushrooms don't get enough love. There's six or seven really key medicinal mushrooms. A lot of them have their claim to fame in advanced cancer. One of them specifically is the cordyceps mushroom. 
Hmm. And the cordyceps mushroom is ideal for this state of adrenal fatigue that we're describing. Hmm. Heralded for millennia for stamina and vitality and rigor and modern science shows us it actually achieves these outcomes. Like you feel you have more energy, it improves endurance, etc. Is this so, like is this like chaga or is this or is this something else? It's a different mushroom. Okay. Chaga would be one of the about seven medicinal mushrooms of interest. Right. Hey, maybe in the future, if you'll have us, we'll do a show on the medicinal mushrooms. Yep. Different mushrooms do different things. And the one that we really keen in on in, the, in terms of adrenal fatigue is the cordyceps mushroom. So how do people get it? This is a, in supplement form? That is typically in supplement form. Some of the others, like chaga, like reishi, which are also very important mushrooms, are available like to make teas out of, yes. which is a very legitimate strategy as well. I would say if you're going to get it in pill form, it has to be hot water or steam extracted. Okay. The mushrooms have hundreds of human studies, and pretty much all of them use hot water or steam extraction. That'd be one thing I look for. Okay. And is this preventative, or is this you should be taking it after you're in these states? Both. If you feel you're chronically under a lot of stress, a lot most herbs are not intended for long-term use. Okay. All the ones we just rhymed off, these adaptogens, yep. are... They are. Like, they are safe and appropriate for long-term use for the purposes we're describing. They're tonic, they're adaptogenic, and that's the way that astragalus, all of these things, that's the way they were intended to be used. I, I like that you referred to them as tonic. That's apropos, and it's an apropos huh. way to end off the interview. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jamie. Always a treat. We hope to hear from you again. Right now, we've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Did you know that wild Mediterranean oregano oil is a powerful panacea that can assist overcoming many of the health challenges you may suffer from? Headwind Essentials was first to market with 100% certified organic ingredients in their wild harvested oregano oil. Quality is the key to amazing results. Headwind oregano oil may be used internally and topically to treat a multitude of conditions. To learn how it can help you regain better health, visit wildoiloforegano.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Roger Baird is an alternate health researcher who has investigated most of the alternate health modalities over a period of 50 years. He created Headwind Essentials, which produces wild Mediterranean oil of oregano. He has discovered that the oregano oil, when properly made using only wild Mediterranean oregano, is perhaps the most potent plant healer that is useful to the majority of people across a wide range of health challenges. Welcome back to the show, sir. You are safe and sound, I'm told. Yes, I am, Jamie, and thank you for having me back on your show. Well, I thought, you know, during these interesting times, it's helpful to hear about some herbs and compounds and natural products that can be quite helpful to what we're going through. So let's discuss oregano oil and 
you know, how it comes to be uh, cultivated and produced. Yeah, so oregano has, of course, been with us for thousands of years, and, and the, the oregano that we hear most about uh, has originated in the Mediterranean area. So countries like Greece, Turkey, Spain are, have all been natural habitats for oregano. These days, uh, there's a, a huge amount of cultivation of oregano, obviously, because it's a large ingredient in the spice market very popular. But when we talk about medicinal oregano, the very, very best comes from the Mediterranean area. And it is the oregano that grows in the wild. And the reason for that is that a plant develops itself according to the environment. Now in the wild, it's faced with a lot more challenges than a farmed oregano would be. So Imagine oregano is a little factory of phytochemicals, and it produces phytochemicals in response to the environmental conditions. So it's, if it's faced with fungal attacks or bacterial attacks or attacks from animals, insects, it produces chemicals to offset those attacks. So in the wild, it has, it's constantly being presented with these types of challenges. And as a result, it has a much more complex phytochemical makeup than what would be found in the farmed oregano oil. And this is extremely important to understand because when it comes to us consuming it in the sense of uh, a health product, we want to maximize the impact it's going to have on our system because we're very, very similar to the plant. And the more phytochemicals, the richer it is with these phytochemicals, the more benefits we're going to receive. So oil of oregano, it, it's both topical and you can ingest it. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. You can, you can also breathe it in. <laughs> so there's many ways of, of getting it into your bloodstream. It, it passes the skin barrier, so it's transdermal. It's got a very volatile molecule, which means it gets airborne easily. And particularly in cases where you want to treat the lungs, which are the hardest part of the body to treat, Oregano oil is extremely valuable because you can inhale the vapors. And you can do that in a multitude of ways from simply putting a drop or two on a tissue and having that by your workplace or by your pillow at night when you're sleeping, putting it in a vaporizer, you know, doing it the old school style where you put the towel over your head and you put a few drops in a cauldron of uh, hot, steamy water and sit there just breathing in the vapors for a while. There's a multitude of ways of doing it, but the but the takeaway here is that it is one of the few ways to get highly antibacterial, antiviral substance directly into your lungs, where it can do the most good in, in case of uh, any kind of lung condition. If I were to take a spoonful of it, should I be having it with food or water? Does it make a difference? Well, I wouldn't recommend taking a spoonful of it. Okay. What would you <laughs> recommend? It. If I were going to consume it, what would you recommend? You know, typically this comes in a, in a fairly small bottle, anywhere from 10 mils to a couple of ounces. The recommended dose is generally two to three drops at a time under the tongue if you're taking it internally. The skin under the tongue is very, very thin. It's good to hold the oregano there for a couple of minutes. And during that period of time, it will, as I mentioned previously, it'll find its way through the skin and into the bloodstream. So that gives you a much quicker response than just putting it in your mouth and swallowing it. It also has the added benefit of diluting the oil somewhat more 
so that it's easier to swallow. Should you have it with water or is it fine to have on its own, like just, as you said, applying it under the tongue? No, we find that everybody, everybody's different. Everybody needs a different amount and everybody wants to do it a different way. Okay. Well, what's your favorite? What do you do? You put it under the tongue? I put it under the tongue. I let it sit there for a couple of minutes. If I've got any kind of lung issue, I breathe in through my mouth so that the vapors will, will go down into my lungs. And after a couple of minutes, I swallow it. I'm not a, you know, oil and water is we both know don't mix so the other thing about water it's interesting it can sometimes even increase the heat sensation oregano oil does provide it spicy and and the carvacrol definitely gives a heat sensation this is why it must be diluted with olive oil before you ingest it because in its pure form it's caustic so Uh it has to be cut down and and the preferred ratio for that is one part oregano oil to four parts of olive oil that's safe for topical application and for internal application. It's still strong. It's going to do everything it needs to do, but it's not going to injure you at uh, that dilution. And what are some of the reasons that somebody would take oil of oregano? What are the health benefits? Okay, so what's on everybody's mind? Antiviral. Yeah. And those lines back in 2003, there was actually a, a study done in the independent uh, microbiology lab where they took the human coronavirus, the SARS virus, and they exposed it in vitro to oregano oil, and the viral count went from half a million to about 170, that's half a million to 170 in 15 minutes. Wow. In 20 minutes, it went even lower. So that gives you some kind of idea how how it affects viruses when it comes in direct contact with them. So yes, it's antiviral. It's antibacterial, and it works against bacteria that modern antibiotics don't work on anymore because the bacteria have be, have developed resistance to them. In other words, the, the bacteria have mutated and they're antibiotic resistant. Those same bacteria can be defeated using oregano oil. And again, that's been proven in multiple times in, in, in different labs and, and uh, in many different countries. So it's it's a very, very powerful antibacterial. It's, a, again, a, a powerful antifungal. So if you've got candida issues, it's very valuable. It's an antiparasitic. So, you know, if you've been traveling and you think you've picked up parasites, or even if you haven't been traveling and you've picked up parasites, it's a very, very good supplement to take. It's an antioxidant which, as we all know, is very valuable. It's an analgesic, so it's it's great for controlling pain. It's an anti-mutagenic, and I've already mentioned that. It'll deal with bacteria that have mutated, and it won't create more mutant strains. It's an anti-inflammatory, so it can be useful in any kind of disease because all disease has an inflammatory or inflammatory component. It's antitoxic, and when we say that, you know, we can think of the 400,000 people that die from food contamination in the U.S. every year. Now, 400,000, as, as you might be able to relate, is quite a bit larger number than any of these so-called pandemics that they get all excited about. But again, oregano finds its use in that arena. It's anti-carcinogenic, so cancer does not do well when it's exposed to oregano oil. It's anti-venom, so if you get bitten by a snake or a spider, it can help until you get to, you know, until you get to a hospital or an emergency room or can take a, a anti-venom shot. It's anti-plaque, so it's it's wonderful for, for tooth and gum, teeth and gums, because it prevents the buildup of, of plaque and it even 
has been shown in Italian studies to be able to dissolve plaque. So it's it's very, very, very useful in in. So, you know, here in in the city, uh, a lot of the dentist's office are closed. I was scheduled to go for a cleaning, but, you know, they're not accepting patients for that purpose. So would you just sort of rub the oil mixed with olive oil on your your teeth and gums? Or what would you do in order to help with that? So there's several things you can do. You can swish it around in your mouth, put a couple of drops in your mouth, swish it around as you would a mouthwash for a couple of minutes, and then spit it out. Use it on your toothbrush. If you've got a cavity, and I've got multiple, a multitude of testimonials on them. If you've got cavity or tooth pain or gum problems, you can just put a drop in your finger and rub it in, into the sore spot or all around your gums. Or you can put it on a Q-tip if you prefer to do that to hit the, hit the spot on your tooth that's got the infection. That's going to kill the infection. It's all going to, also going to numb the pain, and it's going to keep you in a tolerable state until your dentist reopens. Roger, we're going to be uh, have a discussion with Humane Society in a moment. Is oil of oregano okay for pet use? It's not only okay, it's as good with pets as it is with humans. And the, the only caveat there is cats, which are notorious for not being uh, uh, great with essential oils, basically they could be subject to hepatoxicity. However, I know many cat owners whose cats have volunteered to take oregano oil and have been helped health-wise. But Horses, dogs, pigs, goats, sheep, birds, chickens, turkeys, livestock, domestic pets, all of them can benefit from oregano, whether it's internal use. If you've got a horse with hoof fungus, I've had multiple horse owners who love oregano oil. If the horse has got upset stomach, give it to them with an apple. If the horse has problems with the coat or parasites, again, it can be used topically. It's uh, It works as an insecticide. So ticks, fleas, stuff like that. It's an amazing, amazing product. And it can be put to so many uses. And in fact, if it, it is being used uh, on a large scale, especially now in Asia and parts of South America in for livestock, chickens, pigs, etc. And this way, they can avoid having to use costly and largely useless antibiotics, and uh, they're getting much better results. And not only that, if they want to sell their product as being organic, they avoid all the downsides of uh, (laughs) of other options. Right. If people want more information about Wild Oil of Oregano, what's the website they should go to, Roger? Wildoiloforegano.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Jamie. It was great uh, talking to you. That was Roger Baird. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss pet adoption during social distancing on The Tonic. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8,300-square-foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy, and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage, and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory, plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments, and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. Wayne Elliott here to share my great experience over the past 20 years with Strauss Heart Drops. If you've had bypass surgery, stents, have angina, diabetes, cold hands and feet, grayish blue lips or skin, I urge you to try Strauss Heart Drops and feel better again soon. 
Strauss Heart Drops saved my life and thousands of others without risk or harm. Go to StraussNaturals.ca to order online or find a store near you. I promise you won't be sorry. I hope you give this to yourself. Thank you. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Hannah Satropa is the Public Relations Specialist at the Toronto Humane Society. She started with the organization roughly two and a half years ago with a passion for changing the lives of animals in need. Hannah is also an active foster parent to many Toronto Humane Society animals and continues to strive to find unique ways to bring a strong voice to the voiceless. Welcome to The Tonic, ma'am. How are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you, Jamie? Thanks for having us. I'm doing well. And the reason I'm doing well is because I played with my Aussie Doodle for an hour this morning with her chasing the ball, which is her favorite thing in the world to do. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, it's a beautiful day to do it as well. How old is she? She's three. Okay, gotcha. And where did you get her? We got her from a breeder. Okay, cool. Very nice. But I know there's lots of animals out there. Uh, who are in need of adoption or fostering. So why don't we discuss, you know, what are the benefits of adopting a pet for for those who've never had it? For sure. So there are so many adoptable pet reasons why you should adopt. There are so many studies out there as well, which is astonishing. So it's not just a personal opinion. You know, I think there's a million and one reasons why someone would want to own an animal, but the science also agrees. For example, one of my favorite findings is that when an individual is interacting with an animal, that human blood pressure can actually be proven to go down. So that's an actual scientifically proven benefit to being around animals. On top of that, when you're around animals, they actually help to reduce cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone. And in that same stride, it help to allow happy juices, so serotonin and dopamine, to release from the human body. And these benefits can carry out long-term as well. So on not just your physical health, but also your mental health as well. So there are so, so many benefits to adopting an animal. And to just being around an animal in general. Yeah, I mean, but we shouldn't overlook the physical ones as well. I mean, you know, one of the reasons that we got a dog is because I sit in front of the computer the whole day and uh, the the breed that we got, which is, she's an Aussie doodle, so half Aussie shepherd, half poodle are active dogs, which means, you know, she needs a lot of exercise and it it gets me sort of uh, to get up from the screen and go for a walk. So that's good. So for somebody who's living a sedentary lifestyle, this is an opportunity. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend that breed if you're sedentary. But, you know, there are dogs out there that will certainly get you off your behind. Right. The other thing is, and, you know, it's it's a bit muted in these times of social distancing. It's a great opportunity to meet neighbors and people in your neighborhood and just people in general just to take a, a pet for a walk, you know, just to get out there and meet people. And, you know, right now you can still do that and keep your social distance. But I've met all kinds of people in the neighborhood since since getting the dog. And I've lived in the same neighborhood for, for over a decade. Yep. Well, no doubt. And I think the other thing, too, is that people, when they love their animals, they are passionate about their animals. They want to talk about them. Yep. Um, they want to share photos. They want to share stories, successes or challenges. And so absolutely, it's it's a great way to, to get out and, and get closer with your community. Also going to, to dog parks, should your dog be a dog who's comfortable? Obviously not in this current environment, but as a, you know, business as usual on a typical day, going out to the dog park is a great way to just, again, feel more connected with, with the community when you need to. I think the other thing too is that there's so many programs out there as well that involve animals uh, because of these signs based evidence that proves animals are good for people. At the Toronto Humane Society, we actually offer a Reading Buddies program. And so what it involves is a child reading to an animal, and it helps to gain confidence. It helps the child to gain reading skills, and also it's good for the animal. So the animal gets 
more comfortable with an individual at the presence of the cage and is more likely to come forward as people pass by. And that in turn actually increases their adoptability. So it goes both ways. People are good for animals and animals are also good for people. Let's talk about if we've intrigued people to consider getting a pet and getting one from the Humane Society. What's the process now during COVID? So because of the government's strongly recommended social distancing practices, so we have had to shut down the majority of our public services. So when this all unraveled, it was so important for us to come up with a way of still placing animals in homes, still adopting them out, even during this time of crisis. Animals, of course, are are totally unaware that a pandemic is going on, aside from those who are in homes and either loving their their family home all the time or or not as much or not liking it. (laughs) And so the flip side of that is there's the shelter animals. And so these animals still need people who are committed to their futures. And so Toronto Humane Society, what we did is we decided to take this adopting process and put it onto a digital platform. Essentially, the process, very straightforward. If someone is listening and interested, all you have to do is send your application to the adoptions email, which will be reviewed on a first-come, first-served basis. After that, there's a virtual counseling session. And so This involves the exact same information you would get in the shelter. It's just taken onto a virtual platform. And then after that, which is really unique, is we've actually done a virtual meet and greet as well, which involves the foster parent, the foster animal, as well as the adopter and the adoption agent. Just having a more involved conversation, asking little questions like, when does your animal like to eat? Where is their favorite place to sleep? What's their favorite toy? And it helps provide some insight towards how the animal might act in the home, in the new adoptive home. So it's a very simple process. The pickup is done at the shelter, of course, taking into consideration social distancing measures, and then the animal gets to settle into their new their new forever home during isolation. You're finding that there's more of a need for it during COVID, or are there less animals in the shelter now? So we've actually done an incredible job in the first two weeks of closure, and we placed upwards of around 70 animals in the first two weeks just through our digital adoptions program. After that, we also uh, continued to place animals in foster homes and was able to place upwards of about 130 into foster homes. So there is still definitely animals who are in shelter as well as in foster homes who are looking for their permanent forever homes. So if people are still interested, our website will have all of the available animals animals listed, as well as animals who are still up for foster. And are you finding that there are more people interested in adopting pets now? So definitely people are reaching out. People have expressed such an incredible amount of support. You know, there's a need right now for people to come in and help our animals. And so that ask put out on social media, we put that ask out in, in mainstream media, and the response has just been incredible. So um, absolutely, there is an increased interest in, in adopting during this time. A lot of people also are understanding that there are pros to adopting during this time that maybe otherwise in their regular schedule wasn't um, available to them. So being home all the time to work on house training and good fundamental foundations training has been a positive for a lot of people we're hearing. With that said, there are cons as well. And so, for example, you aren't able to actively socialize your animal with strangers or passerbys on the streets. But with that said, another pro is that you're also able to really get some good bonding time in. So in your home, you're able to really exchange trust with that animal, get them used to in a new environment through positive reinforcement and treats as well. Are you concerned at all with people adopting 
adopting pets now, maybe for the wrong reason. In other words, they're bored or they're anxious. And, you know, the, the current state of affairs, you know, hopefully will not be going on too much longer. And then, yeah, you know, everybody's exactly. going to go back to their normal schedules. And then, you know, there may be somebody who is intrigued by having a, a dog in the house, maybe now doesn't have the time or the resources. Are you worried about that at all? That's a great question, Jamie. And I think that the response to that would just be more describing our adoption philosophy. So Toronto Humane Society is so unique because of our investment in getting to know that individual as a person. What are your needs? What are you looking for in an animal? What are you willing to work with? What are you not willing to work with? And so on and so forth. So it's pretty quick that in that conversation, an understanding between both the adoption agent and the adopter starts to understand what really owning a dog is and if that is something that the lifestyle can support of the prospective adopter. So our philosophy is very transparent, that we are very open with our with our prospective adopters, and we also hope for the same in return. So to that point, do their motives concern us? We absolutely um, have an open and honest conversation, which involves all things adoptions, including lifestyle, budget, environment, commitments. And by having that conversation ahead of adoption, we're able to really start to set our adopters best up for success. Well, that's good to hear. So there, there are phrases out there. There's adoption and there's fostering. Can you explain what the differences are and, and you know, who can do what? For sure. So there's definitely two routes. So if you're looking to bring an animal into the home and you're not ready for a 15 to 20 year commitment, then I think fostering is probably the best route for you. Fostering involves caring for an animal on a full-time basis, but for a temporary length of time. And so you do have the option at the end of fostering to adopt that animal if you have developed a very strong bond and you don't want to see that animal leave your home. But the idea behind fostering is you are setting the animal at the beginning of their journey up for success so that they can eventually carry into their forever home. Adoption is where you decide that you're ready for that commitment and you you take it on and welcome the animal into your home on a permanent basis. And our adoption agents hope to do the best in getting the individual best set up for success ahead of that because we do understand the level of commitment it takes to owning an animal. So there are benefits to both and sometimes adoption is the right route for an individual. And then on the flip side, sometimes fostering is is the better option. If somebody's never had a pet before, but considering doing so, what are some of the things that they maybe should turn their mind to before they take the next step? So I've kind of broken it into about four different categories because there is a lot to consider when we're looking at adopting an animal. When thinking about adopting an animal, you want to, of course, look at your budget. Bringing an animal into your life, no matter how you look at it, at minimum will increase your monthly expenses. So every pet needs food, annual vet visits, a veterinarian, pet supplies, Some pets require higher maintenance than others. And so looking at budget will be a great way to assess whether or not you can practically take on an animal. The other is lifestyle. So bringing home an animal, it's important to look at your day-to-days. Can an animal fit into your day-to-day schedule? Can an animal fit into your work schedule, your personal life, what you like to do in your spare time as well? Are you a world traveler, going away a lot? There's a lot of different considerations on that front. The other thing that's important is looking at longevity of the decision. So if you want a pet now, I recommend think about it now, but also come back to it in a few months and see if your lifestyle has changed. And then the last one is just environment, looking at whether or not your household is on board, who around you is committed to this animal because it's a full household, full family decision, as well as your living conditions allow for a pet. 
And I think when you look at it in a, in a holistic sense, all-encompassing, that be budget, lifestyle, longevity decision, and environment, then you're really looking at all areas, all four corners to see whether or not pet ownership is something that's right for you. Fantastic. And what's the website they should go to if we've intrigued them enough to consider it? www.torontohumanesociety.com is our website with all of our available animals as well as our full process. So if you're interested, feel free to check it out now. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Jamie. We had a blast. That was Hannah Satropa. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll hear whether or not this is the time for self-improvement on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Combining over 30 years in the field of self-development, Rod McDonald is the CEO of the Certified Coaches Federation, one of the largest coach education companies in the world. He's also a speaker, coach, and author. For more information on the Certified Coaches Federation, visit CertifiedCoachesFederation.com. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to speak with you. There's a lot of people out there with a lot of extra time on their hands because of COVID, of course. And there's a lot of impetus out there, I think, to use that time constructively. Do you feel that this is the right time for self-improvement? You know, I think that it's important to recognize that everyone is experiencing this situation a little bit differently, even though the circumstances are shared in a sense of, you know, the pandemic status and the lockdowns that we're all having to adhere to. You know, everyone is handling it a bit differently because some people aren't working at all. Some people are working a little bit and some people, you know, if they're working, say, at grocery stores and things like that, haven't been disrupted that much. In fact, in some cases, they're having to work more. Right. So acknowledging that there are individual differences, having said that, I would say that if someone is locked down and in isolation, it's actually a great time to focus on uh, themselves and the people around them in a time that they, they typically wouldn't have had normally. Okay. I mean, I, I see it as a double-edged sword. You know, you know me, I'm kind of a glass half empty guy. I worry that people are going to take this kind of stuff on now in the same way that they're going to go out and get a puppy to occupy themselves. But but then when things, I won't say go back to normal, but whatever new normal we, we get to, I think it's going to be different than where we're at right now. And I'm wondering if it's just the moment that's sort of spurring people on to do this. Maybe it doesn't matter. I, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? I think that if people are really honest with themselves and, you know, in, in the realm of self-development, self-awareness is one of the most critical things that we can improve on is just knowing sort of where we're at, what we're feeling, what we should be doing with those feelings, and what actions we should take and so on. That really serves us well. So if someone, you know, and we'll use your, your puppy analogy for a moment, you know, if somebody really wanted that puppy and they went out and got a puppy, but they didn't think through what the obligation would be, what the commitment would be, then, yes, I agree with you that then they're going to be in for a rude awakening when you know, the weekend's over and they have to go to work and realize the puppy's going to be on their own for eight hours. So in this case, 
with uh, the self-isolation that many people are held within, they can ask themselves, okay, well, what have I always asked myself? Well, if I had extra time, what would I be doing? And then ask themselves, well, now that I've made that list of things, and it might be things like, well, I'll clean out my closet, or I'll organize the garage, or I'll write the book that I've always wanted to write, or whatever the case may be, then they can ask themselves, well, is that realistic? Do I have the time to do that? Do I have the energy to do that? And if the question continues to come back with a yes answer, then certainly they can move forward. If they run into any interference and any no answers of, well, no, I don't really have the time to write that book, well, then they may want to slow down and ask themselves, what else could they do that would be helpful? Yeah, and I, and I don't want to be heard as to discouraging people from growth, right? Like, that's not the purpose of the tonic at all. You know, I'm supportive of, of any sort of positive change in anybody's life. You know, we're living in a, in a situation now where, you know, reality is just, completely different than the way it was and probably will be in the future. So the grounding isn't there. So I kind of agree with you. I think if you're going to take something on, really consider where you are at, not where the world is at and how you're going to carry it forward. And I would say baby steps, right? Like maybe start out with cleaning out your closet before you start writing the great, the next great North American novel. I don't know. Yeah. I I think that that's a, a great way to approach it. I mean, I, I love that notion of the baby steps. And from a coaching perspective, we talk about chunking up, right, is yeah. start with the little chunks of things and start to build them into bigger chunks of things. And before you know it, you'll have more of what you want and less of what you don't want. I think that it's also important to create context. Yeah. And we realize that in North America, we've lived a, a pretty sheltered life, you know, with the exception of a, of a few, depending where one lives, a few natural disasters, Hurricane Katrina and things like that. North America has largely been spared from massive epidemics or pandemics, most big natural disasters, things like that. War. So no, we, no. And wars, exactly. And so we haven't been tested. And the, the way that I spoke to this in a post on social media recently was we in Canada and in North America, we haven't had very many fire drills. And if you think back to elementary school and high school, well, we all got annoyed when, especially in the middle of winter, when the fire alarm would go off, we knew it was a fire drill, we'd all have to go outside or go to the gymnasium or wherever the, the, the point was we had to meet. And the reason was that the reason we, we had to do that was so that when there was a real emergency, that we wouldn't have to think about what to do. And unfortunately, we haven't had enough real emergencies or fire drills to really know what to do in these kinds of situations. So there's a lot of uh, armchair quarterbacking about what different governments could have done, should have done, might have done. And nobody can really know for sure what that side of it might be. What we do have control over is where we are at in this instant. And, you know, what do I have available to me right now in terms of time, in terms of support and resources, and how I can proceed now to make best use of of my situation now, which is actually, if you were to go back, you know, three months back to January or so before this was really a thing, you know, were people even doing that then? Were they assessing where they're at, what resources they have, what do they want to achieve, or were they just sort of bobbing along the river of life. I'm going to throw something out there. You tell me whether you think it's relevant or not. I think because we're more in isolation now, some people are introspective, some people aren't. But I think for everybody, you know, when you, if you give somebody enough time, they're going to start sort of brooding or ruminating. And I'm wondering whether or not that's the right mindset. Like, would that be undermining the ability to move forward if you're, for example, spending time on social media, comparing yourself to the beautiful people, or if you're not really connected with with people in the way that you were before, do you have too much time on your hands to sort of worry about things in order to kickstart this improvement 
properly. Does that make sense? Well, it does make sense. And I think that in general, it's human nature for us to think about ourselves first. Sort of a survival of the fittest instinct is to how, how do I survive? first. And then depending on our circumstances, if we have children or other loved ones around us, then our quick second usually is how do I protect those around me? And I think the brooding or rumination that you're speaking about, I think that some people are more subjected to that. And I sort of look at a situation like this a little bit like alcohol. And it might sound like a, a, a weird sort of analogy, but hmm. I look at alcohol like a an amplifier. If you're sad and you drink too much, you're just going to get more sad. If you're happy and drink too much, you're going to get ridiculously happy. If you're depressed, you're going to get more depressed, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. I think that a situation like this gives us a sense of no escape from ourselves. And so if we're happy, then we're probably going to find ways, well, how can I be more happy? And so I'll reach out to my friends and I'll talk to the people I haven't talked to in a while and I'll start to work on myself or I'll keep working on myself. And then the people who were maybe struggling, these are the people that, that I'm most concerned about, the people who were struggling already but had the distractions of getting up and going to work every day, now maybe don't have that. And so they're left to potentially ruminate, as you said, on that. And that can be a really challenging space to find oneself in. So if somebody were to reach out to you and say, you know, Rod, I, I want to improve in this way or that way, what would you recommend? How would you tell them to start out and how would you move them and help them along? Well, I'd ask them what have they thought about doing previously that they felt they never had time to do. And it could be something simple like cleaning out their closet or something else. And often <clears throat> it has to do with things like, well, I never had time to exercise. I never had time to read. I never had time to complete my master's thesis or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And I'll take a coach-based approach, which is to ask questions, say, well, now that you have time, is that something that you still want to work on? And oftentimes they'll say yes, sometimes they'll say no. And when they say no, it's usually because something else is occupying their brain's processing power. And so I'll say, well, what is it that you're spending your time on? And oftentimes, as, as you might guess, they'll say things like, well, I'm spending an awful lot of time on social media. Yep. I'm watching a lot of Netflix, you know, and they'll, they'll give a whole list of things that might superficially be occupying their time, but certainly isn't making them better as a human being. No. And so, again, I'll ask questions like, well, do you think you need to spend that much time on social media? Do you think you need to watch a whole season of whatever show that you like to watch? We're going to set aside Tiger King because that is entirely worthwhile. <laughs> but, but believing that aside, I, I'm with you. Yeah. And so then I'll ask the question of, well, let's say you dedicated even two hours a day to something else that would, you know, have a measurable improvement for you in two weeks or a month, what would that be? And they'll often say something like, well, I, maybe I'll learn to cook. I'll look up some new recipes or I'll start exercising at home and I'll start, you know, doing some YouTube uh, workouts or something. I said, okay, awesome. When are you going to do that? Oh, sometime this week. Okay, well, when this week? I guess I could start it tomorrow. Okay, well, what time tomorrow? And as a coach, that's what I do is, is I want to help the person get what they want, not what I want, but what they want and get them to commit to it as soon as possible and then I'll say, okay, now if you're going to do that tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., because that's what you're choosing to do, are you willing to send me a text message an hour after that to tell me how it went? And yep. that creates that accountability, and then they're more likely to follow through. Accountability and structure. Good advice. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're very welcome, Jamie. My pleasure. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Philip Rochadis, ND, Roger Baird, Hannah Satropa, and Rod McDonald. 
And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website, tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss your heart health, mindful navigation of challenging times, modern approaches to French food, and the natural treatment of memory loss. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.